You're listening to That Moment When. Stories of specific and honest relational touch points that change a person's life. Brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible and CSB Podcast Network. My name is Richard Clark. From the start, Grammy Award-winning hip-hop artist Lecrae struggled to match up to the cultural expectations of manhood. Left without good examples, there were a dozen scripts to follow, but none of them seemed to fit. In this episode, you'll hear how the author of the book, I Am Restored, discovered a father who wrote the script that freed him. Honestly, my deepest fear as a kid was probably um, being abandoned, just just being left. You know, my dad never came back. And so, you know, you just begin to wonder, like, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if someone doesn't come back? I didn't know my father growing up. Uh, Him and I never got to develop a relationship. My mother and him divorced. You know, they married maybe a year, maybe a couple years, and then he was gone. My mother and I were pretty close. Uh, I mean, we're, we're still relatively close. And she's had, you know, boyfriends and husbands, an, another husband. We weren't ever close, though. And so um, there's just kind of always been a gap there as it pertained to me and, and the men that, that were in my mother's life. I was very protective of my mother. I didn't want to grow close to anybody. Um, if she, she moved in with someone, I didn't want to grow close to him. If uh, she was dating somebody exclusively, I didn't really want to grow close to him. I think as a kid, I just had a vision that my dad was going to come back. This man I never met was going to come back and rescue me. I think I was waiting for some kind of magical moment to happen and it never did. My mom had me young. I was unexpected. She was single, trying to make ends meet. So there was, there was some sense of her just working overtime and having to work more jobs and, and just just be able to, to put food on the table. And so um, it was just easier for me to stay with my grandmother and let her work. My grandmother was a very, you know, adamant and, and committed Christian. And so I would stay with her for different times and different seasons out of my life. And those would be the only times that I would really have any kind of Christian interaction. She's one of the type of people where she believed that, you know, truth is caught, not taught. And so it was more of that. You know, I think my grandmother was was really engaging and and just wanted me to tag along with her for everything. So I loved hanging with my grandmother. It was just, it was, it was fun. I only saw my mom during her, her like worst hours of the day when she was tired from working all day. So I was kind of a latchkey kid. You know, I spent a lot of time home alone and anytime uh, I would feel like I was rejected or, you know, I wasn't cared about or someone didn't like me, my cousins would try to sneak out the house and wouldn't wouldn't let me tag along because I was a little cousin. I would feel those fears 
kind of rise up like, you know, I'm going to get left. And, and, uh, and so those, those are definitely some things I wrestle with. You know, like I said, my mother, she worked around the clock. And so it wasn't as if we were having like conversations about things like that. And you just had to keep moving. You know, you had to just plow through life and not process some of the, the traumas and the issues that were going on around you. And you just got to figure it out and um, and keep going. And then you know, there's a lot of historical trauma in our family. So, you know, my little problems of feeling lonely or anything along those lines would pale in comparison to the to the things that my mother had endured, you know, civil rights era or that my grandmother had endured, and the Jim Crow era. And so there were just so many things that I, I didn't have the freedom to express. And then, of course, you know, I, I'm in environments where um, it's not okay to be sensitive or soft. You know, I'm growing up around uh, gang members and it's a, it's a tough guy mentality where it's kind of like, you know, if you soft, you're, you're food for the streets. I definitely felt attention from, you know, from some some of the gang members and some of the the, the different individuals in, in the community. You know, it's, it's kind of like a family. These are the people who care about you. These are the people who are taking the time to teach you things and train you. How do I function? And and I think, you know, though their uh, objectives were probably misguided, the sincerity was 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 authentic. Um, they they genuinely wanted me to to learn how to, you know, become one of them. Even if you're not like an active gang member, this this is still kind of like your family. So if I was to go to a rival neighborhood and they ask where I'm from, I'm still going to get attacked because I'm from that neighborhood. And then, of course, all my friends are part of are active members of this gang. So and, um, you know, I can remember one moment when, you know, we were told to 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 shoot at rival gang members. And I was like. I don't think I want anything to do with that. I'm, I'm allergic to lead, you know? And so, you know, those are some of the decisions that I, I was fortunate to make. Like, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I think there's something else outside of this for me. I think it was kind of expected that I would toughen up eventually and that I would just get a little more grit. I just, I was never a tough guy. You know, I was, I would hold my own. I would defend myself, but I, I never had that kind of tough exterior. I was always, you know, artistic and, and thought provoking. And, and so no one would know that by the way I carried myself. You know, if I had to get in a fight, I'd get in a fight, but I was never the guy looking for trouble or looking for aggression. I've always been a person that, that needed a script, a script for how to live life. Um, just not having a father figure and giving any kind of real, sense of like, hey, how do I do this? And so I was out constantly looking for scripts and I was trying to figure out the script of being successful in high school. It was like, who am I supposed to be? And just an identity search. And so um, I went on a quest just to find myself and, um, and, and just asking a lot of questions. You know, it led to some dark places because uh, I just I, I couldn't be consistent. I tried I, I tried, you know, being a, a thinker, uh, a ladies man, uh, drugs, you know, pursuit of power, pleasure and possessions. And none of it was actually a, a script that I felt like fit me um, and just trying to figure out how to get my life on track and just couldn't ever seem to do it. I got arrested. 
I had had bail friends out of jail. I had, you know, had a wild kind of last couple years of high school. And I, and it really came back to haunt me. You know, you reap what you sow. And I, I was really down and just trying to figure out how do I get my life on track? And so um, I was investigating religion, which is why I was visiting churches. And uh, I had gotten a full scholarship to a college on, on a, a performing arts scholarship. I, I get to college and I don't know anybody except one girl from my high school who was older than me. And she so happened to be a Christian. And she tells me, you know, when you're going and doing your little freshman rounds, that I should visit this Bible study. I, I honestly think um, it, it's it's funny. If I would have never taken Chauncey, the, the older girl, if I never taken her to the prom, I was a sophomore, she was a senior. If I had never taken her to the prom, I wouldn't I wouldn't have run into her on campus and she and, and been invited to that Bible study. And me being the explorer, like I'll visit a Bible study, I'll visit Baha'i faith, I'll visit anything. I don't mind. I'm just a free thinking person. So I go to their Bible study and I realize, you know, even though I had grown up around church, I didn't know anything. There was an assumption that because I was around it, I understood it. And I and I didn't. I, I remember being 15 years old and I, I walked into a church. I went by myself and went to church one Sunday. And I remember an older lady asking me, was I saved? And I literally did not know what she meant. I had never heard that term before. So, you know, it's just like, these are all new terms to me. And so I was intrigued and I just kept hanging out, coming around. They were very nice. Couldn't understand why they were so nice. I was like, what is wrong with these people? Uh, they're just really strangely nice to me. One thing I remember is that we went on a an evangelism trip and we were going to share the gospel in the neighborhood. And uh, and I'm walking with one of the guys and, and he's sharing the gospel and I'm just listening to what he's saying. And I'm like, I think I can memorize that script. Um, Cause I don't, at that point in time, I didn't think I wasn't a Christian. I just, you know, because I went to church and I was like, yeah, I guess I'm a Christian. But as he shared, I tried to memorize the script and I, and I shared it with someone else. And then he pulled me to the side and he said, man, I've just been watching you. And he said, man, I, I think you have faith, but not a saving faith. And I remember that stung me really bad. So I want to know what that meant. And um, I dug my heels in a little bit more to find out more. Uh, they invited me to a conference in Atlanta. And, you know, my, my ulterior motive was to meet girls, but, but I went anyway. I remember walking into the hotel during this conference and um, and I, as I said, I saw people who looked like me, they dressed like me, they talked like me. And I was really kind of like, I, they can't be Christian. I don't know what I thought a Christian looked like in my mind, but or, or at least they can't be dedicated Christians, you know, and because they look cool. They look normal. They looked like, you know, I thought you had to be kind of lame. And some of these people looked cooler than me, dressed better than me. So I was really blown away by that. I remember seeing them, you know, uh, young men going up and down the escalators, chanting Christian chants and, and rappers, you know, rapping raps about the Lord. And I was like, 
what is this alternative universe that I'm seeing right now? It was beautiful. They had a poetry night with open mic and, and people doing poetry that articulated their faith. I remember it was an auditorium, chairs all spread out there. It was probably about 800 students, maybe a thousand of us, all African-American students. And I remember I was in the overflow, you know, because I couldn't get into the main room. I, I was late for whatever reason. I was in the overflow. And I remember his message and, and he walked through Golgotha and, and Christ being crucified and talked about how he his wrists were pierced and he had to pull himself up and down on the cross. And it was like, don't you ever call my God a punk. And I was like, wow. It was so clear and, and it was very pointed to, in a way I could relate to. You know, he, he mentioned all you all you tough guys and gang members don't call Jesus a punk. And I was like, oh, wow, he, I really did think Jesus was kind of a sucker. He was a punk a little bit. He was a little weak, a little soft. It was like everything changed for me. It was kind of like the scales fell off my eyes. And then I felt a sense of conviction. And I remember being in an overflow room and I'm always very... I, I care a lot about how people see me and perceive me. So I would have never wanted to look foolish or crazy. But I remember not caring in that moment. And I dropped to my knees in front of everybody. And I just started praying and, and crying out to God saying, forgive me. I didn't know. I came back up and I felt relieved. I felt new. I felt like the spirit had entered me. <laughs> If I had heard a gospel presentation before that, I, I don't think I had ears to hear. You know, it's kind of like, I don't remember it. I don't think it stuck. Again, like I said, I needed a script. I was looking for a script. And the only script I had of manhood were the men in my life who were gang members. You know, those are the men who paid attention to me, who, who taught me, who were my formidable people. They were tough. You know, they, they went to prison. They had guns. And, and I just wasn't that. So I always felt like, in some sense, I wasn't a man. I hadn't reached the pinnacle. And sadly, I thought going to jail was a rite of passage, and I hadn't been to prison. And so I thought, man, I just have not achieved manhood because I haven't been to prison yet. And, um, and so I think hearing that following Christ was not a... a a decision for someone who was weak but well it is a decision for somebody who's weak but but it's also a very tough journey you know to be a christ follower it's not for the faint of heart i did i, I never knew this existed maybe i can belong here maybe i can find a home here. I, I saw another path i didn't know existed i saw rappers and i i, I saw a script <laughs> you know I, I saw a script of who i could be if I wanted to follow the Lord. And, um, and, that, and that really changed everything. When I became a Christian, I was a zealot. I was all in. I was like a, a gang member for Jesus. It was, it was bad. Uh, I, was, I, I was knee deep. I was all in Bible studies, memorizing scriptures. I'd wear index cards on my neck with Bible verses on them going to church on Wednesday nights, Sunday morning, Sunday nights. I was just all in. But um, even outside of all that, though I was zealous, I had peace, you know, and I was a kid that wrestled with 
a lot of struggles internally and that this was the first time I'd had a piece that I really could not express. I think the war of finding a family came to an end. The war of being accepted and being a part of something came to an end. I, I had purpose, you know, and it wasn't contingent upon me performing or having to be the best rapper or be the best dressed or be the most popular, get the good grades, be the toughest guy. It was about the position that I had in Christ and that, that changed everything. I had some friends who were really frustrated. They were like, bro, I, I, I forget, I, I never forget one of my closest friends at the time. He was like, bro, are you serious? So you're not having sex anymore before, till you get married? Was, he was just like, what is going on? It was just unfathomable to them. And so, you know, our relationship suffered. You know, it was kind of like, why do I want to hang around you? It was very tough. And I, and of course, you know, I had moments where I would just come back to them and, and, and hang out with them. I wanted to be around them, but I just, I knew this, that that wasn't a healthy place for me to be because I, I'm an extremist. And I think, I, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go extreme in one or two ways. I'm going to go extreme on being faithful or I'm going to go extreme on being unfaithful. And I'd already been so unfaithful and, and, and I'd already seen what, what kind of lifestyle that, that led to, you know, I got a friend doing three years in prison. I got, you know, pregnancy scares and all types of crazy stuff going on. And I was like, man, I'm afraid, you know, I got a, a father who's a drug addict and I, I, in my mind, I, I have relatives incarcerated and friends incarcerated. I'm thinking if I step off the cliff, I'm going to end up there. And I think that was what it, it was fear. It's been a lifelong journey, right? Of like, man, God really protected me and he saved me from some crazy stuff. And, and when I failed, the world didn't end. God was still gracious to me and he still cared for me. And I was like, wait, what? I thought my life was going to be ruined. And he's like, nah. There's mercy and grace for you. And um, and sometimes there's consequences, right? So, so there's, there's lasting consequences for some of those actions. And I think in those moments, I realized, man, I'm glad that I didn't make some of those decisions that I could have made early on, because I don't know what the consequences would have been. I think now I'm very sober, you know, I, I walk with a limp, <laughs> you know, and, and the limp is a reminder that, yes, God will carry you through the war, but it's not going to be without some some bruises and some, some, some shrapnel. But that, that limp, the shrapnel that I've experienced in following Christ, you know, it's worth it because it it doesn't compare to the joy that I know is in front of me, you know? And so if you don't have a mission, if you don't see the kingdom as a greater mission then everything you've experienced is, is a waste. And I think for me now, I know that 
he's using all of these particular things, all these pieces of my story to paint a bigger picture. It's almost like, uh, you know, there's a giant jigsaw puzzle going on here and I'm one little piece. But you're trying to figure out like, why am I curved here? And what is this happening? And this doesn't make sense. But then you realize, oh, I fit into this grand tapestry and, and I see what you're doing. And, um, and I just want to trust that process. And that's kind of where I'm at now. I think what makes it feel concrete to me is that, you know, I get to experience it on, in two ways, on two levels. I experience a close-knit intimacy of friends that I've had for, you know, decades. And they're here and they're wrestling with me and they know me. They know the deepest parts of who I am. I know the deepest parts of who they are. There's nothing we don't know or where we can't share with each other. And then I have the other layer where I know a lot of people don't get to experience, but I get to, to go around the world or hear from people around the world who've been impacted and feel connected when I tell my story and they know that they're not alone. And so I get to be a picture. You know, my loneliness gets to be a picture of other people's journey and um and they get to realize oh it's not just me you know i, I think of uh, one kid in particular we call him din din but din din was a, a 13 year old kid you know i'm in my early mid-20s we're living in one of the toughest neighborhoods in memphis and he doesn't have a father and i took him and two of his friends and we would just hang out every day. We'd go to the movies. We would play basketball and we would talk about the Bible. And I, I remember realizing one of those days as we were doing a, a little Bible study. I was trying to share the gospel that one of them couldn't even read. And so I was like, man, we got to get him to learn how to read. And, um, and I remember, you know, Din Din just grasping on the stuff more than the other two were. You know, it was kind of like something was happening. And then eventually he's he comes to the realization. He's like, man, I, I need Jesus. And he begins to follow the Lord. And now he's in his 20s and still faithful and, you know, serves at his church. And it's just a blessing to see that moment in somebody's life to this moment now. I think what it is, is that sometimes you're going to feel alone, but if you are that puzzle piece, you're unique, but you fit inside of a larger family and it's a global family. And I think that encourages me that I belong to something bigger and that I'm known by the creator of the universe.
That Moment When is hosted by Richard Clark, produced by Nick Thompson, edited by Kaylin Richardson, brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible and CSB Podcast Network. For more information, go to csbpodcastnetwork.com.